Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not Jenna Ellis. It's Frank Turek with you. Jenna is out today. She'll be back tomorrow. I want to ask you a question. What do you say when your daughter, your son comes home and says, Mom, Dad, I'm trans. What do you say? What do you do? We're going to talk about that today because so many Christian parents and even non-Christian parents struggle with that. And I think there are right ways and wrong ways to handle that. Before we get into that, however, uh, I want to address this question. What is love according to the scriptures? Is it approval? Because in our country today, we tend to think that love means approval, that if you really want to love me, you need to approve of what I do. Is that really the case? Is that what love is all about? Uh, if you're a parent, let me ask you a question. Actually, if you're not a parent, if you're just a, a child, if you're a former child, you should be able to answer this question. The question is this. If your parent approved of everything you wanted to do when you were 12 years old, would that parent have been loving? Well, obviously not. Because if you want to love somebody, you can't approve of what they do all the time. You need to stand in the way of evil. Particularly if they want to do something that's going to be harmful to them or harmful to others, you're not loving if you approve of what they want to do. You're only loving if you stand in the way of what they want to do. Love doesn't mean approval. Love doesn't mean that you enable somebody to go down a road that's going to harm them or harm others. That would not be loving. That would be enablement. And yet our culture seems to think that love requires approval. If you love me, you'll approve of everything I want to do. Nonsense. That's not love. In fact, in the passage that everybody reads at their wedding, but nobody obeys, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love always protects. Love rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love always perseveres. Well, how do, you, how, do you, how do you protect people? How do you persevere? How do you rejoice in the truth and not wrongdoing? You stand in the way of wrongdoing. You stand in the way of evil. You say, no, I love you so much, I'm going to try and prevent you from doing what you want to do. That's what love is. In fact, um, the famous passage where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. You know where he got that? That, that wasn't actually uh, unique to the Bible when Jesus said it, because he's actually quoting from Leviticus 19. And in Leviticus 19, where it does say, love your neighbor, you know what it says right before that? Rebuke your neighbor. So you're not guilty of his crime. In other words, if you know that your neighbor, whomever it, that means, it could mean you know, a relative, it could just mean a friend. If, you're, if you really want to love your neighbor, you need to rebuke your neighbor. 
whenever your neighbor is about to do evil or wants to do evil. That's what love is. Love does not mean approval. So when we're trying to help people who come to us and say, if you, if, if you really want to love me, you'll approve of what I do, we have to say, no, that's not right. In fact, Thomas Sowell, some of you may know who Thomas Sowell is, absolutely brilliant economist, but he's brilliant in a lot, a lot of other things as well. He was actually uh, he was brought up in Harlem, and uh, Dr. Sowell somehow taught himself to read and became a uh, professor at some of the top universities in the country. And Dr. Sowell has said this. He said, when you want to help someone, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. And you know what we do, ladies and gentlemen? We often try and help ourselves by telling people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. In fact, Jesus gave us one new command. You know what that one new command is? Love one another as I have loved you. Okay, how did he love us? He sacrificed himself for us. So love, envires, or love involves sacrifice. How do, you, how do you sacrifice in a loving relationship? You tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. When you tell people what they need to hear, you're sacrificing yourself to help them. The reason we don't often do that is because we don't want to get the blowback from people when we tell them what they need to hear. So really what we're doing is we're sacrificing them for our own comfort when we tell them what they want to hear. We need to tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And this is true throughout the scriptures. In fact, one thing Jesus does is he tells people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. One thing Paul does is he tells people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And the other biblical writers as well. Look at poor Jeremiah. (laughs) Jeremiah, he's thrown in a cistern as a prophet, because they don't like what he's saying. But he's not telling them what they want to hear. He's telling them what they need to hear. So you may be thrown in a cistern as well. But you, you need to stand for the truth in order to love people. And so I want to give you some practical ways of doing that a little bit later here in the program. You're listening to the Jenna Ellis in the Morning Show. I'm Frank Turek. And for those of you that, uh, for those of you that, that don't know, I actually do have a, a radio program here um, a radio program here on the American Family Radio Network on Saturdays and Sundays, also aired on Sundays, Saturdays, 9 Central, 10 Eastern. I think it's aired again on Sunday afternoon. And it's called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And what we do is we present evidence for Christianity. We cross-examine ideas against it. And, um, and what we do is... We also deal with some of these cultural issues and issues that affect us personally in the culture. And that's what we're doing here today, talking about this transgenderism issue and how can you deal with somebody who actually says that they are transgendered? What do you what do you do? What do you say? How do do you love them the right way? That's what we're going to get into. But before I do, let's talk a little bit about the transgender issue And there are a number of flaws with the transgender issue. One of the flaws that the folks who are advocating for transgenderism, particularly those that are advocating it for children, um, is the fact that their ideology just 
contradicts reality. For example, um, the folks that support this kind of thing try and say that there are more than two genders. And here's one of the flaws. It's obvious that there are only two genders because the design of the body shows that there are only two genders. And that is, whether you're a man or a woman, there's only two things that can be that you can do, whether you're a man or a woman. If you're a man, you can produce a sperm. If you're a woman, you can produce an egg. There's no third category. There's no third gender out there. And there are people out there, obviously, that can't produce either, but that would be an incapacity, not a third capacity. So the very design, not only of the human body, but of all the mammalian world, is that there are only two genders. So on one hand, these folks are trying to say there are more than two genders. On the other hand, the human body shows that there are only two genders. Again, you can produce either a sperm or an egg, and there's no third category. There's no third gender. Secondly, despite the fact that uh, the folks that support transgenderism are trying to say there are more than two genders and the genders are not fixed, transgenderism must unwittingly presuppose fixed genders. You say, how so? Because if I'm a man and I think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea what a man is and some idea what a woman is to know that there is this mismatch between my psychology and my biology. If I didn't know what a man was and didn't know what a woman was, transgenderism would be impossible. It would be impossible to even know that I had this mismatch between my psychology and my biology. So on one hand, they're trying to say there, are, there aren't, aren't fixed genders. On the other hand, the only way transgenderism could even, they could even know they had a problem was if they knew what the fixed genders were. And in fact, if, if I tried to make the so-called transition, which of course is impossible, ladies and gentlemen, you can't change your, the DNA of your 40 trillion cells. It's impossible. You can't do it. But if I were to try and do it, I would have to have some idea what a man is and some idea what a woman is in order to try and do that. And so transgenderism on one hand, transgender ideologues on one hand deny there are fixed genders. On the other hand, they have to presuppose there are fixed genders unwittingly. And by the way, the denial of fixed genders has, has sparked a bit of a civil war in the LGBTQ so-called community. Why? Because if the T's get their way that there are no fixed genders, then the L's, the G's, and the B's don't exist. Because how can you be lesbian, gay, or bisexual unless there are fixed genders? Those so-called identities or behaviors presuppose fixed genders. So there's a bit of a civil war there. And by the way, the feminists aren't happy either. Why? Because if there are no fixed genders, then there are no women. And if there are no women, there are no women's rights. In fact, this is one reason why, why Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman?, has so many transgender a a a advocates and left-wing academics stumped by the simple question, what is a woman? You see, they're caught in a dilemma. If they say that a woman is a biological female, then transgender ideology is false. If they refuse to define a woman, transgenderism is not possible. Who is transitioning to what and what happened to women's rights? 
That's why so many responded to Matt's persistent question in that documentary with the circular non-answer. He would say, what is a woman? And they would say, a woman is anyone who identifies as a woman. Yeah, but what's a woman? <laughs> See, this is, it's actually madness to, to actually decide that you are going to support this kind of thing. It is completely against logic. It's a completely against nature to say nothing about God's word, to say nothing about just natural theology. The idea that uh, men and women are designed a certain way. You just look around and you realize that transgender ideology has fatal flaws. Another one of their flaws is they say uh, that you can change your sex. No, the truth is you can change your mind, but not your sex. You can change your mind, by not your, but, but not your biology. And uh, the perfect sort of analogy to this is anorexia. If um, an anorexic thinks they're overweight, they're having a mismatch between their psychology and their biology. Now, no doctor would help an anorexic by saying, you know, you're right. You really are overweight. Let me give you some liposuction. They would say, oh, uh, sorry, uh, dear, your, your mind is playing tricks on you. Uh, you are dangerously underweight. We need to get you nutrition. We need to change your mind because your mind is telling you something that's false. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to this gender ideology, this transgender ideology. We need to show people that they can change their mind. They cannot change their biology. They cannot change their sex. Look, if your daughter said she was a mermaid, would you take her off the coast and drop her in the ocean? Of course you wouldn't. You would say, dear, your mind is playing tricks on you. So we need to get you the proper care. We need to get you some, some psychiatric care. We need to get you some counseling. We need to get you some cognitive therapy here because your mind is not telling you the truth. That's the approach we need to take to transgenderism. The same approach we would take with an anorexic. The same approach we would take to your child if she said she was a mermaid. We would get her some counseling. And we'll talk a lot more about this after the break. You're listening to the Jenna Ellis in the Morning Show. Obviously, I'm not Jenna Ellis. I'm Frank Turek. We're back in just a couple of minutes, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Friends, it's Frank Turek uh, with you. Jenna is out today, but she'll be back tomorrow. Today we are talking about this issue of transgenderism. What do you do when your young person, your your daughter, your son comes to you and said, Mom, Dad, I'm trans. We're going to get to some practical things you can say to them and how you should move forward with that. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about some flaws in transgender ideology uh, and that is because it just doesn't comport with reality, ladies and gentlemen. We've pointed out already that uh, the human body shows there are only two genders, that it would be impossible for transgenderism to even exist if the genders weren't fixed, because there would be no way to know that you had gender dysphoria. 
unless you knew what a man was, unless you knew what a woman was. Uh, we also pointed out the fact that uh, that you can change your mind, by, but not your biology. Let me give you another problem with transgender ideology. They try and say that sex is assigned at birth. Everyone knows this is ridiculous. Sex is not assigned at birth. Sex is discovered at birth. Uh, most of the time, it's actually discovered nowadays beforehand through ultrasound and other means. So you don't assign sex at birth. You discover sex at birth. And by the way, the extremely rare cases where the genitals are ambiguous, which is something called intersex, uh, that is not an argument for transgenderism. Transgenderism is when you have perfectly developed sexual organs being removed in order to try the futile approach to change one's sex. You cannot change your sex. So a birth defect is not a reason to say that there are more than two genders. Intersex is a biological condition. Gender dysphoria is a psychological condition. The existence of intersexed people does nothing to support the claim that sex is assigned at birth. Birth defects do not disprove the norm. In fact, that would be impossible to identify without the norm. So this whole idea that sex is assigned at birth is nonsense. And uh, for the very few people that have this very rare condition, it does nothing to point out what the norm is. You wouldn't even know what that defect was unless you knew what the norm was. So, and by the way, we live in a fallen world. All of us are born with, with deficiencies and defects. That does not make us less human or less worthy of respect. Nor should we mandate that defects and deficiencies provide the new standard of behavior for the entire world. When someone is born deaf, uh, do we tell the rest of the world they can never speak or listen to music because it might offend the deaf? No, that would be ridiculous. Yet that's precisely what the transgender activists and the rest of the woke world are trying to impose on our entire society. Tell us your pronouns. Don't use the term mom anymore. It's birthing person. Men can get pregnant. And similar nonsense. The entire world must act deluded because a very small number of people truly are. That doesn't help those people. It only feeds the delusion. And let me point out one other thing that is often overlooked when it comes to, uh, when it comes to this transgender issue. There is no basis for transgender rights, just like there's no basis for any rights, unless God exists. You notice we seem to be inventing new rights in America about every 10 minutes, but where do rights come from? They don't come from government because a right is something you have regardless of what anyone else says about it, including your government. Rights can only come from God because if there is no God, everything's just a matter of opinion. It's just your opinion against somebody else's opinion. And this goes, this is the same thing true, uh, true with morality. There's no ultimate right or wrong unless God exists. Otherwise, everything's just reduced to what someone says, someone's opinion. But God is the very standard of righteousness, the very standard of justice, the very standard of love, and his nature is what grounds right and wrong. If God doesn't exist, there's no right to anything. There's not only no right to same-sex marriage, there's no right to natural marriage. There's not only no right to abortion, there's no right to life. There's no right to anything unless God exists. Now, of course, when you look at what God, say, God says through natural, the natural world, this is called natural law, what our country was founded on, we hold these truths to be self-evident. 
that all men were created and endowed by their government. No, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. When you look at the natural law, you realize that abortion's not a right, that same-sex marriage is not a right, that trying to change your biology is not a right. But you do realize that there is a right to life, that there is a right to natural marriage. So despite the fact that people out there are claiming they have rights, if God doesn't exist, there are no rights. Now, of course, people can demand that their government legislate or declare certain behaviors as rights, but that doesn't really make them rights any more than a government can legislate that a biological man is a woman. That doesn't make him a woman. So instead of trying to change reality to fit our thoughts, we should try and change our thoughts to fit reality. In fact, that's the basic difference now between the left and the right. The left one, it wants to try and change reality to fit their desires, where the right is saying, no, we need to change our desires to fit reality. So now why am I going through all this? Well, first of all, it's a big problem in our culture today. But secondly, if you want to go further in this, I just updated a, a book that I originally wrote in 2008 called Correct, Not Politically Correct. And some of what I've said here, in fact, just about everything I've said here is in this book. It's called Correct, Not Politically Correct about same-sex marriage and transgenderism. This book was originally written in 2008. It was updated uh, in 2017 or 16, right after the Supreme Court mandated same-sex marriage on the entire nation. And then I just updated it just a couple of months ago with all this new information about transgenderism. Because transgenderism now is this new, uh, the new sort of rights campaign. And the folks that are pushing this have no basis for rights. Yet they're trying to say it's a right. So there's so many flaws with this that I felt it necessary to point it out. Now, th- now, this book, Correct Not Politically Correct, which you can get on our website if you go to crossexamined.org, click on store. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. Or you can go to Amazon or wherever you get books and, and find it there. This new book, uh, new updated version, the third edition, is not quoting Bible verses. This is not the biblical case against same-sex marriage or transgenderism. It's the natural law, medical, common sense case against it. So you can give this book to a non-Christian if they're open to reason and say, here's why same-sex marriage and transgenderism are not good for individuals and they're not good for a society. So I'm, I'm looking at medical data in this book. I'm looking at natural law. I'm looking at some, some common sense principles that anybody can uh, follow, even if... They're not Christians, even if they don't think the Bible is true. Now, of course, I do think the Bible is true, but I'm not using uh, the Bible in this book to make the case. In fact, some of you may know I wrote, co-wrote the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, which gives the evidence from the ground up that truth exists, that God exists, that, that miracles are possible, that the New Testament's telling us the truth, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that the Bible is the word of God. So I, I do obviously believe that the Bible's true, that Christianity's true, but I don't need to use that to argue in the public square to show that transgenderism and same-sex marriage are not good for individuals and they're not good for societies. So if you want to get the book, correct, not politically correct, I think it may be helpful if you're trying to make the case to people who are not even Christians. Now, why has there been a rise in this transgenderism recently? Do you know, historically, uh, the... Uh, Gender dysphoria, which is a real known psychological condition, affected about one out of every 10,000 
people, mostly, mostly of them biological men thinking they were women. In fact, uh, prior to 2012, there is no scientific literature showing that gender dysphoria even affected teenage girls. Yet now, in some girls' schools, you have 30% of the girls claiming to be trans. How did we go from one in 10,000 men claiming they were women to in some locations, 3,000 in 10,000 girls claiming they're men? How did that happen? Well, as I point out in the book, correct, not politically correct, uh, this appears to be something which is now known as rapid onset gender dysphoria, a phenomenon in which children having displayed no signs of gender dysphoria suddenly felt it acutely upon puberty. And they just decide now they're trans. What is communicating this to these young girls? There's nothing new in women biology But there is something new affecting their minds. It's called social media, ladies and gentlemen. Social media has a powerful influence on young people finding their way in life. And think about this. What do most young people want is they're finding their way. They want to fit in. They want to be accepted. They want to be applauded by their friends. And what's the fastest way you can do that in the social media culture? Claim you're trans. Then everyone will applaud you, and anyone who suggests this might be harmful will be shouted down as a bigot and probably canceled. So it's no mystery when teenagers who live on their cell phones feel the angst of puberty, some will be enticed into claiming they're trans, and maybe even transition, thinking it's going to somehow bring them the peace and approval they crave. Ladies and gentlemen, it will not. It will not bring them the peace and the approval they claim. In fact, the data show that people who have so-called sex change surgery, which of course is impossible, you can't change your sex, but people who try, these folks, the people who get the surgery, have a suicide rate 19 times higher than the general public. This is after the surgery, 10 years after. There's a honeymoon period where they feel better, but 10 years after, all proverbial hell breaks loose, And they have a suicide rate 19 times higher than the general public. Why would we think this is a solution for people? It's not a solution. And by the way, young people who have this so-called gender dysphoria, 80% of them grow out of it by the time they're 18. So why would anyone suggest that puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones or, God forbid, surgery is a way to correct a problem in a child when, in fact, just time itself is going to fix the problem in most cases. Why would you sterilize a child? Why would you mutilate a child? Why would you put them through that kind of hell when it's not necessary? When they're going to grow out of it anyway, chances are. That's what the data show. Why? Because this is a political agenda, ladies and gentlemen. Because medicine has become politicized, as I point out in the book, correct, not politically correct. In fact, you even have some medical schools like the University of Minnesota taking uh, uh, or giving their students woke, woke vows that they're going to decide to look at woke treatments like um, indigenous people treatments to try and actually treat people rather than using the scientific method to figure out what really is the right way to treat someone. In fact, 
in the fall of last year, 2022, the University of Minnesota, now I'm reading from what they said here, the University of Minnesota uh, insisted that their incoming class of students take an overtly political rather than medical oath, which included recognizing, here's the quote, inequities built by past and present traumas rooted in white supremacy, colonialism, the gender binary, ableism, and all forms of oppression. (laughs) What? So I write about this. Excuse me, but recognizing there's a true gender binary is medically necessary for properly treating patients. Men do not need pap smears and women do not need prostate checks. Men and women are also susceptible to different conditions and diseases. They also metabolize some medicines differently. Ignoring this can be deadly. In fact, there are over 6,500 biological and psychological differences between men and women. And yet the University of Minnesota thinks that their students ought to take an oath to ignore that because that would be advancing the gender binary. Sorry, friends. The gender binary is reality. Okay. And so if you're going to if you're going to get treated, your doctor may be out there right now who's taken this woke oath and is going to try and treat you based on avoiding reality, the gender binary. That's what we're dealing with here, friends. So this this craziness must be met with truth. That's what we're called to do, ladies and gentlemen. If we truly do love people, we're going to tell them the truth. If we want to help ourselves, we'll tell people what they want to hear. If we want to love them, if we want to help them, we'll tell them the truth. So that's what I want to talk about in the remainder here of the show. And you're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. I'm Frank Turek filling in for Jenna. Jenna will be back tomorrow. Uh, Never fear, she'll be back I also want to mention that uh, the folks that say they're, they're trying to get uh, sex change operations here, uh, their, their stories that they, that they talk about or their experience should, should warn people that this is not something that you want to do. It, 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 there's no protocol for this. There's no way to, to, change, your, to change your sex. It's impossible. And in fact, in the book, I have a quote from a lady that tried to become a man. Her name is Scott Nugent. And uh, she's changed her name to Scott Nugent. And uh, it's unbelievable what she went through to try and change from a woman into a man. And she said she would never try this again, but she's already done it. And when we come back from the break, I'm going to actually read what she went through. It's it's heart-wrenching, actually. And then we're going to get into some things you can say to a young person who comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I'm trans. What do you do? We'll cover it right after the break. You're listening to Frank Turek on the Jenna Ellis in the Morning Show back in just a couple of minutes. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Friends, it's Frank Turk with you. Jenna is out today. She will be back tomorrow. I host a program here on the American Family Radio Network called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. 
And what we do is we present evidence for Christianity. We cross-examine ideas against it. The website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. Today here on the Jenna Ellis Show, we're talking about uh, this issue of transgenderism. And most of what I'm telling you now is in a new updated book called Correct Not Politically Correct about same-sex marriage and transgenderism. As I say, I'm the author. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at uh, our website, crossexamine.org. And before the break, I was mentioning that this idea that someone can change their sex is, is, is impossible biologically. And some people, of course, many have, have tried this. And uh, this one woman that tried to become a man wrote about her her attempt to become a man and her name now she goes by scott nugent here's what she said this is a quote from the book correct not politically correct i've taken a quote from an article and i put it in our, the correct not politically correct but anyway here's what she said she said during my own transition i had seven surgeries i had a massive pulmonary embolism a helicopter flight ride an emergency ambulance ride a stress-induced heart attack sepsis a 17 month recurring infection due to using the wrong skin uh, during a failed a failed operation to try and give her a male sex organ. Uh, 16 rounds of antibiotics, three weeks of daily IV antibiotics, the loss of all my hair, only partially successful arm reconstructive surgery, permanent lung and heart damage, a cut bladder, insomnia-induced hallucinations. Oh, and frequent loss of consciousness due to pain from the hair on the inside of my urethra. All this led to a form of PTSD that made me a prisoner in my apartment for a year. Between me and my insurance company, medical expenses exceeded $900,000. And then she goes on to say this about the medical community doing this. She says this. The happy, lighthearted salesmanship of medical transition and its blunt reality don't match up. Doctors and medical transition proponents don't prepare you for the transition-related post-traumatic stress disorders. They don't mention post-traumatic stress disorder or any of the multiple hardships because it's considered transphobic. I want to tell my story so that others can hear what the medical industry is too afraid, is too afraid to say out loud. That gender transition surgery is not the magical solution that doctors, the media, and the culture describe. Unquote. That's from a lady now going by the name Scott Nugent. And again, that quote I put in the book, correct, not politically correct. This is not something that certainly children should be involved in doing. And I would argue that adults shouldn't try it either because it doesn't work. It doesn't get you what you think it's going to get you. Now, that doesn't mean that some people who get the surgery may not feel better. But medically, it's impossible to change your biology, and chances are it's not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. So, ladies and gentlemen, what do you do when your daughter or your son comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I'm trans. Number one thing, don't freak out. Do not freak. If you freak out, is your child ever going to come to you with any other kind of difficult issue? No, they're going to avoid you like the plague. No, you've got to remain calm. As difficult as it's going to be, you need to remain calm and you need to ask questions. Look, it's easy to ask questions. It's hard to answer them. So your, 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 your best approach here, other than obviously prayer, is to ask questions. And what are some questions you might ask? Here are some. First question. 
What do you mean you're trans? Just ask, what do you mean by that? What does that mean? Next question. How did you come to that conclusion? Why do you think you're trans? Third question. What happened that made you feel this way? Now, why are you asking that question? Because according to Walt Tyre, who for eight years tried to live as a woman, he became a Christian, and then he detransitioned and now is living as a man again and actually has a ministry because he became a Christian. He has a ministry to people who want to transition, detransition, I should say, called sexchangeregret.com. Sexchangeregret.com. You can go there. You'll find some helpful information there. Walt says this, and everybody he's interviewed, and he claims to have interviewed thousands of people, there's always an event. There's always an event in someone's life that makes them feel that they want to be the other sex. Now, these are people that have true gender dysphoria. This is not necessarily the case for rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is probably what's affecting your young person. That's, they're getting this from social media. But if they truly have gender dysphoria, there was a traumatic event. In fact, Walt says that it might be that, say, a, a young boy claims he's a girl. It might be because he was sexually abused and he wants to rid himself of the part of his body that was sexually abused. So you can see the psychology behind this. So you want to ask the question, what happened that made you feel this way? Next question, do feelings always tell you the truth? And then be quiet and see what they say, because you know feelings don't always tell you the truth. In fact, a lot of times feelings are leading you down the wrong road. You don't follow your heart. You guard your heart. In fact, I think the most important Bible verse for our culture today, other than the gospel itself, comes from the Old Testament. It's Proverbs 4.23, which says this, Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. doesn't say follow your heart. You can't follow your heart without moral restraint. Your heart is deceitful and wicked. It wants what it wants. It's selfish. It changes. It's contradictory. You can want two contradictory things at the same time. You can want to be married and not married at the same time. You can want kids and and not want kids at the same time. You can want to be financially secure and also want that shiny new thing at the same time. You can't follow your heart when it's contradictory. You've got to decide. You can't follow your heart without moral restraint. Because your heart will sometimes, many times, lead you down the wrong road. That's why the proverb says, above all else, guard your heart. And Solomon should have known that, right? He had enough experience to realize, I can't follow my heart. I need to guard my heart. So, ask the question. Do feelings always tell you the truth? Next question. Do feelings ever change? Now, there's obviously, they're going to have to admit they do. Why? Because last month, your young person wasn't trans. And now they are, according to them. Their feelings have changed. Next question. Do you think your feelings might change again? Yeah, in fact, that's what the data show, as I've already mentioned. The data show. In fact, you can turn this into another question with your young person. You can say, have you ever considered that about 80% of people your age who have these feelings grow out of them by the time they're 18? Because that's the truth. That's what the data show. So ask the question. Have you ever considered that you're going to grow out of this in all likelihood. 
because that's what the data show. That's what the evidence shows. And then another question you want to ask, how much have you read about the long-term effects of doing this? Chances are they haven't. Those two quotes I just gave you from Scott Nugent earlier, who's, that, who's a woman who tried to become a man, that might wake them up to point out that this is not the way forward. It's not the way forward. In fact, here's what Scott again says. Again, a woman now after her transition, which hasn't made her a man, just makes her look like a man, she says this. I would not medically transition again. Medical transition has given me permanent heart and lung damage, recurring bacterial infections for life, and a deformed arm. I cut my dating pool by 90% and took years off my lifespan. This decision has cut short the time with my future grandkids, uh, or my future grandkids will have with me if I meet them at all. So for me, I'm past all the BS, she spells it out. I don't have time for it anymore. Medical transitioning is not for kids. It doesn't fix anything, and it's not life-saving. But convincing people it is sure makes a lot of money for companies and doctors, doesn't it? A lot of this is about the money. We're talking that if transgender identification continues, its current exponential growth patterns, more than 20% of the population will be trans in 20 years, and that's a ton of money, unquote. Again, this is from the book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, about same-sex marriage and transgenderism. I'm quoting from another source, and her name is Scott Nugent. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that people who do attempt to transition never complete the process? Why? Because it's impossible to complete the process. They have to remain on cross-sex hormones the rest of their lives. Cha-ching! Big Pharma loves this. In fact, I never realized this until I had Dave Rubin on the program, the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. Some of you may know Dave Rubin. He has something called the Rubin Report on YouTube. He is a gay man, identifies as a homosexual, is actually in a same-sex marriage, but he's conservative on many other issues, and he is completely against this trans business, and on the program which will air this coming Tuesday it'll also be on our YouTube channel on Monday night go to the cross-examined YouTube channel this coming Monday night whatever that Monday is what's today July 20th uh I think July 24th it'll air had this conversation with Dave Rubin about this and he said I never thought of this but he said you know the human rights campaign the people that that push the LGBTQ LGBTQ plus agenda after the Supreme Court put forth uh, their imposition of same-sex marriage on every state in the nation, illegitimately, I might add. Marriage has never been a national federal issue. It's not in the Constitution. But they did it anyway. He said after that, the human rights campaign had no place to go. They had won what they were looking for. And so in order to keep going, in order to keep the money coming in, they had to find a a new cause, Activists needed to raise money, so they picked transgenderism, even though it contradicts with so much of what the lesbians, gays, and bisexuals are all about, and that is fixed genders, as we mentioned earlier. So there's money behind all this, friends. we got to keep the money flowing in. That's why they're pushing this relentlessly. 
So ask these questions, ladies and gentlemen. And then, of course, they haven't investigated. When you ask them, how much have you read about the long-term effects of doing this? They haven't. What's going to happen is the kid is going to get sterilized by taking puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and if they go to surgery, they're certainly sterilized. But the, but the drugs themselves, in fact, one of the drugs they give these kids is called Lupron. You know what we used to use Lupron for? To chemically castrate sex offenders. And we're giving it to kids now. And the Biden administration warns that they may take your child from you if you don't do this with your child. If your child, if your little boy says he's really a girl, if you don't give them what is now called gender-affirming care, which is a euphemism for basically sterilizing your child, then the Biden administration may come and take that child from you. Don't believe me? HHS, Health and Human Services, put this out on March 31st, 2022 and Joe Biden's been all behind it that's what's going on here big pharma's behind it and uh, wokeism is obviously pushing all this and it's not care it's child abuse we're mutilating children so ask what do you mean you're trans how did you come to that conclusion what happened that made you feel this way do feelings always tell you the truth do feelings ever change have you ever considered that 80 percent of people your age who have these feelings grow out of them by the time they're 18 how much have you read about the long-term effects of doing this you haven't you need to research it and then finally if jesus who sacrificed himself for you wanted you to live according to the biology he gave you would you obey him Sometimes the answer is no. This is why, by the way, I ask people when I go to college campuses and present, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I always ask atheists, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And quite frequently, they say no. Why? Because it's not a head problem, it's a heart problem. They don't want it to be true. They're not on a truth quest, they're on a happiness quest. And they're just going to do whatever they think is going to make them happy. And the same thing is true here. A lot of people are going to do this because they think it's going to make them happy. It's not. That's what the data show. It's not going to make you happy long term. And if you love people, you're going to stand in the way of this. Now, what happens if you're in a workplace and they want you to support all this? I don't have time to get into it now, but I just did a podcast called 10 Plus Questions to Ask Your Woke Boss. It's from May 23rd of this year. Go to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast, wherever you get podcasts, and look for it. Ten-plus questions to ask your woke boss. If you do that, you'll have some questions you can ask, and you can maybe avert and change the kind of tyrannical dogma that's being pushed on you in your workplace. So ask those questions there. Ask these questions we talked about here on this program today and get the book correct not politically correct about same-sex marriage and transgenderism by me frank turek and i hope to see you here saturday for the i don't have enough faith to be an atheist show nine central 10 eastern see you there thanks to jenna for letting me sit in she'll be back tomorrow ladies and gentlemen god bless The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast 
may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.